ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joshua, and I want to welcome you to another broadcast. Today is spoken word. And what today's word is, actually, I don't know yet. I got to figure this out. But this is what I'm led to talk about. The last few days, of course, we had Christmas just two days ago. But I've been having this urge to do a broadcast to discuss a very important subject to me. And of course, yesterday, I did those broadcasts. In fact, I did it six times. And every time I did it, I realized that this is not how I want to talk about it. And I'm glad that I pay attention to these cues because I want to make something very clear. As when I first started my journey of being a talk show host or having a podcast or TV show or multimedia broadcast or any of those things, my whole objective, other than fulfilling and living a childhood dream, was that I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless. That I wanted to be, I wanted to show people, I wanted to be such a bright light that I could show people how to get out of their own hell. Now, of course, some people look at hell as a physical destination, and I gotta tell you, in that very way, very well may be true. But the only hell that I care about today is the one that we could potentially slip in today. You know, the hell in our mind. The warfare that goes on in our brains. I've had a lot of warfare in my day. And as a believer, and as somebody that has followed Jesus now for the last six, seven years, and of course time escapes me. So I'm, I don't know the exact date of my born on salvation date. I was in jail and I was on a bunch of drugs. Things get foggy for me. So six or seven years ago, this has been a very wild journey. One of the most painful journeys of my life. In fact, I would suggest that my journey in following Jesus was more difficult than my life of evil. But the thing is, and some of the, one of the things that I realized that, and of course, when I was living the life of evil, I never knew that or cared that God existed. Or at least I didn't do the things that show someone cares that God exists or even believes that God's a part of my life. I ran from all of that. I didn't like any of it. I didn't like church people. I didn't identify them with them. But at the same time, that's the one group that I wanted to fit in with more than anyone else. I've always been the life of the party. Of course, at the same time, I probably took the party too far. In fact, I know I took the party too far. But when I gave my life to the Lord, that hunger to fit in with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ became very strong, almost as powerful as my desire for success and to become a world-famous talk show host and MC and writer and filmmaker and everything else that I dream of and I've always dreamed of. I really wanted that bad to the point that I put aside my own personal desires and what I wanted for me and what I believed that I was created to do to try to do for other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But in that process of trying to give everything away, give and no one would take or few would take, it crushed my spirit. It also caused me to and affected my relationship. Why? Because I was trying to do so much for others, I forgot to take care of myself. Now, why is that? Is it because 
after living all those years as a chem sex addict and just doing pure evil and really struggling with my mental, with DID, is it because after I gave my life to the Lord that I wanted to just go do the exact opposite of how I'd done everything else? Because in my previous life before Christ, I was successful. I did do financially. Now, but I also knew the kind of person I was at that time, and I didn't want any part of that, any part of it. So the pendulum swung all the way over here. But here is the truth, and this is what I've learned. Because over here, I thought is this peak state, this peak place of where I'm supposed to be, and how I'm supposed to act, and the what I'm supposed to do. And what I realized in trying to do that, which, oh, by the way, that was also me trying to fit into Christian circles and the church and so forth. And I think about it now, and there's this, I don't know exactly where it's at in the Bible, but where it talks about if you're not welcome, if a prophet's not welcome, shake off your feet, let the dirt and walk away. I could think about that in this process, and it's like, that's a weird thing to think about when you're talking about the church. Because isn't that the place as a believer that you're supposed to run? But I kept getting rejected there. Now, I'm not blaming anybody. It just very frankly could be me. It could be me. Like, I'm perfectly okay with that. But the problem that I never understood is why I had such a hard time in Christian circles when I'm being honest, not only about my sin, but my struggles and the victory, by the way, I'm being very transparent in real time about what's going on with me in hopes that my brothers and sisters in Christ would rally behind me and be friends, be supportive, or be a brother and sister in Christ. But instead, I got rejected. And I didn't understand what that was all about. So here's what I started to think. Does it mean that this is right? But I believe that we're all mirrors for each other. In other words, the way that I treat you or the, uh, I'm sorry, let me back that up. Let me rephrase that. Odds are, typically, if I don't like something about you, what that's really saying to me is you're actually reflecting something I don't like about myself. And I believe that this works with the things that we like about people and the things that we dislike. And I don't remember the exact specifics of this exercise that somebody did for me. But I was like pointing at an X and just like, ah, I hate this and I hate that and blah, blah, blah. And I had somebody tell me to write down, and I may be messing this up, but to write down everything I don't like about that person. And it was like, write down five things I didn't like about them. And that was super easy to write down. And she was like, all right, now write down five things that you are grateful for about that person. Okay, and I did. Then she said, those things that you wrote about what you're grateful for, that's what you like. Like these are things that you love. It's what you enjoy. That's why you're grateful for them. Because she did something for you that you like. And then flipped it on me and said, okay, now go back to where the things that you didn't like. And I read them and she goes, those are the things that you don't like about yourself. You completely wrecked me. I'm like, what are you talking about? But you know what? She was right. And I can't say that exercise, and again, I may have gotten it wrong, but I can't say that exercise is 
100% correct all the time. But in that moment, for me, that exercise was spot on. And it really made me think about how we reframe things, how we can look at our trauma. One of the biggest things that I'm proud of in my journey is that I found a way to be grateful for the trauma in my life. Yeah, I'm grateful for having HIV. I'm grateful that I was abused physically, sexually, verbally. I'm grateful for all of that. I'm also grateful for the fact that I've been in jail six times and I've overdosed and yada yada. That I've been a failure in relationships and I've been a failure as a father. I'm grateful for all of that. Now that sounds crazy, but to be honest with you, the way I see it now is all of those experiences, as painful and awful as they were, they helped me really get into this place of joy. Because one, I've been able to use that my past for good. Now, some may not still like the things that I did in my past and are still holding on to that, but it's been a long time. So that I've done the evil that I've done. Some people will always say that I'm that way. And I wanna go back to something too about that pendulum swinging and I'll get to that in a second. But maybe I should just go to it now. The pendulum swung over here. What I realized is when I was trying to be so far good and to fit into all those boxes, I still lost my identity. In other words, I was extremely evil and I wasn't really that. I went to try to be extremely good, but the truth is that I wasn't any of that. I was good, my heart was good, but some of the over, the, is over advertness, is that the right word? I can't, I don't know the right word for this, but essentially I was working so hard to be good that really I lost my identity. And when my identity, my true self would show up, that true personality, all of a sudden I would feel shame and guilt because now I wasn't fitting into this category. I wasn't fitting into these boxes. So for me, and especially the last few months after getting off social media, quit, like I, what the biggest thing with social media that was been a benefit for me in getting off of it, other than Reddit, I love it. And I still use LinkedIn, but I use it for the newsletter. But I'm not actively on social media, engaging and talking to people and things like that. So other people's opinions are not becoming my own. I'm really thinking for myself. And this was especially necessary on my faith journey. Now, I realize that I've bounced around and forgive me for that. I'll try to circle back to anything that I've missed. But this is just how my brain works, especially not using a teleprompter or a script or anything else. But I realize that I'm somewhere in the middle. And that, for some people, may sound like, well, now you're going back to your sinful past and all that. No, I don't. But I do believe that religion is a box for people. And I believe that it's a safety net. And some people get in there. And of course, if you're practicing your religion, you're practicing your religion, and you're going to bring out warfare. I believe that some of the reason why we bring out warfare and following our religion is because there's a big part of that that we are we lose our identity because we're trying to be something that we may not be we're trying to adhere to a set of rules that may actually not be right for us i know this sounds really blasphemous i really do i get it i believe 
And I have, the evidence now is just overwhelming to me because I've spent so much time researching this subject because, look, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, there's so much wisdom in this Bible. And there's a lot of stuff too that I'm reading. I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Can you just speak plain English? And then of course, when you go read a plain English version of the Bible, then all of a sudden you're reading the wrong Bible is what some people say. And it's just very all just a lot of rules. And it seems like man has really grabbed onto religion and decided to try to make it fit into their own little box. But you see the process of doing that because we all interpret scripture. Some people will interpret some of the same things, of course, but there's always a war. There's always somebody fighting about something. I have a verse that I'm going to read, and it's actually the full verse. But that was that full verse was taken out of the Bible like 80 years ago. And there's a lot of that goes on. And look, I'm not here to badmouth the Bible or any holy book, the Quran, or even the Torah or the Talmud or however you say it. Badmouthing any of those. But it feels like to me that these books, these religious books, these holy books that were given have a tremendous amount of wisdom, but it's also like getting a half-baked piece of bread and trying to eat it. It just doesn't. First of all, half-baked beer. I don't even know if that's the right analogy. But it feels like we're given a lot of the information that we get to run with, but then that same information, and depending on what you read, is enough to run with to hit the wall. And there's not much further than that. If we treat the Bible, or any holy text for that matter, and we're reading it and we're thinking as God is this external force, you're half right. Because God is an internal force also. And the practice of religion, it really takes God and our creator outside of our bodies so much that we forget about the parts that are inside. Our body is a temple. I believe the temple that we talk about or that's talking about in the Bible is our body, not some physical piece of property. And that very well maybe could, that very well could be correct. And I know that as below, as below, as above, as below, the expression is, the kingdom of heaven is within and it's also outside. So it makes me wonder if that the Bible is not just a story of God of the external, but it's also talking about God, the eternal, meaning the eternal inside of us. And if that's the case, then we have to, why we have to really start having some serious conversations about the subconscious and about the pineal gland and about our brains, because if you think about it, the warfare that goes on is where? It's in our minds. You can look at somebody trying to punch you or break your knees or do something like that as warfare, but, and that's great, but I would suggest that the mental warfare that we go through is the greatest wars that we ever fight. And there's so many books about this. There is, if you read the book, Outwitting the Devil, I mean, that, the emphasis of this is that the devil's in your brain. But so is heaven. On a physical map, or at least I've seen some Bible lectures about this, 
that talks about how paradise and hell are right next to each other. And of course, I've had this theory, not for very long, but probably the last six months or so, that the Garden of Eden is actually our... And there's a lot of research that can back that up. So if that's the case, and if paradise and hell are next to each other, wouldn't it make sense that paradise and hell are next to each other in our brain also? Think about all the amazing things that you say about yourself. Or that you think about yourself. Now think about all the negative things that you say. It's like the same voice, is it not? I'm sure there could be some varying differences, but ultimately, ultimately that internal voice is that your subconscious? Is your subconscious God? Is that where God resides in us? I don't have all the answers. But in fact, but I, I am prepared to say that I think we're reading the Bible wrong. Or at least, we're only reading it through one lens, when really, we should read it through another, and reading that it as God is in our brain. And ever since I've started reading the Bible this way, I've quit obsessing so much about the contradictions. And there's 50,000 contradictions in the King James Version of the Bible. 50,000. I went through a hundred of them to see if it was real. And because, you know, there's a book about the 50,000 contradictions. And so I went through a hundred. I didn't want to talk about this and not know that it was real. And the fact is, I, I didn't, I can't verify that there's a legitimate 50,000, but I can verify that there's at least 100. And that's alarming. And if there's 100 contradictions, it's, it's like choosing a political party. What I mean by that is Republicans and Democrats, they have their talking points. They have their pros that get people to like them. And then the Republicans have their pros that get people to like them. But they both have a bunch of shit that they don't want other people to know. <laughs> and there's, there's another side of it. So that's why this war is never ending. That's why there's no win to the argument, because the pros that are chosen to, self, to, to talk about and the talking points are pros that are the most gratifying. It's like a Tinder profile or a dating profile where put up a picture that six years six years ago before you got a double chin or before you gained 50 pounds or before you got all the tattoos on your face and blah 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 it's that same thing you just you put your best foot forward but really it's still a lie now i'm not saying that the best foot forward of the bible is a lie i'm not saying that at all in fact i suggest that there's so much wisdom in there it's really hard to unpack but at the same time there's contradictions there as well and those contradictions should be enough to say, we can't take this all literally. We have to apply it to our lives as the Spirit shows us. Because I believe that the Spirit can make any book anointed, okay? It absolutely can. Because the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, has, is the greatest power in all, of all the world. It's the power that gives everything life. So that can give the power to make a secular book not so secular or to give you wisdom out of it. I know a lot about the occult. And there's the 
good side and bad side of it. I know both sides of it. I'm obsessed with hidden text and literature and banned books because I want to know the history that's been taken from us. But I, one thing I know for sure, because I, I haven't read every religious book, but a lot of the religious books that are out there have a lot of the same material that are in the other religious books. And how we've decided to choose that one book is greatest of all in a world where we modify history, we change history, we change what some things said. If the last three years has not been proof of that, of people trying to rewrite history and change history, now we can just look back to the 80s and Dr. Fauci and his role in HIV and AIDS. A lot of people forgot about how we have AIDS. A lot of people went along and still go along with the narrative that the media played out back then. But if you actually look at the evidence, there's a much different story. In fact, history has been repeating itself with what we're going through now. So this is just in the last 40, 50 years. But we have provable in our lifetimes that there's been much, much more than that, even a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago is when they just start, just over a hundred years ago is when they started celebrating Christmas inside the church in America because it, 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 Christmas and Jesus didn't always go hand in hand, especially for the churches and the different religions within Christianity. It changed that history. Santa Claus and his evolutions and like where he originated from went from being a, this horrific nightmare of an evil baby-eating clown to, not really a clown, but a baby-eater to this jolly old man that's been wonderful. Like, the story of the Christmas tree, the evergreen, and why it matters. Like, it didn't start out with Christmas, the evergreen, why we started using the evergreen. It symbolized life and hope because evergreens lived in the butt-awfulness of the winter. It survived it, so it gave people hope when they brought that tree inside. The feast, like the celebration, like Christmas, or in its origins, was a month-long celebration where the poor got to feast. Why? The reason why the poor were able to feast is because they had to kill all the livestock because it was too expensive to keep them alive in the wintertime. This is actually, to me, it's super fascinating. So. The peasants of the world got to feast and live like kings. In fact, if they made it into one of the wealthier people's homes, the wealthy had to give them the best of their food, clothing, and so on. And they got to kick it with them, basically. And of course, the elite pretended to be poor. Those are the origins of Christmas. But see, history has changed that. But this has happened, not in our lifetime, but in recent memory. You think about it, if you go back to the King James Version of the Bible, and I've, I've talked about this before, and I bring it up again, but history, when you go in and dive into King James wasn't a holy, godly man. <laughs> Far from it. In fact, he would be considered an abomination in the very book that he published. I don't know why people say the King James Version of the Bible is the ultimate authority when actually the NIV is the most accurate of all the texts. It's the most accurate of what we have to go off of as being that turned into the Bible. 
So King James is not even the OG, or as far as the most pure, but some people will fight you if you say, read any other Bible other than King James. It's insane to me. It's just, and including in that Bible, that same exact Bible, it says don't even fight over scripture interpretation. Anyway, so the point about King James is he would be considered an abomination by going by the Bible that we read today. Why? Because he was known as the Queen of England. And this is all, but you can easily find the history on all of this stuff. So the changing of the words and so on. So I've become less upset about that, even though I don't like seeing people hurt each other with a book that has obviously been written by man, and it may be inspired by God, but it's been written by man, and man is flawed. So I'm not so upset with that. I'm upset with people hurting each other with, this is what God says, when no, you weren't there, you have no idea that God said that, and just because it's said in a book that God said that, does not mean that God actually said that. God may have said that, and a lot of this does sound like something that God would say, but to say that God said it is a little disingenuous, if you ask me, especially when we don't even know the real authors of the Bible. There is no proof that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. There's no physical proof. There's not. There's no proof of who wrote the Gospels. It's not Matthew, Luke, Mark, and Luke, and John. So at the same time, while we're fighting each other over which Bible to read and what scripture is correct and my interpretation is better than yours, what you're really doing is losing track of your identity. You're losing sight of yourself. You are doing the things that it says not to do in the Bible. You're doing all that. And that is a problem because the very thing that you are to do as a believer is to lead people to Jesus. But you fighting over scripture is not leading people to Jesus. It doesn't say to lead people to the book. It doesn't say that. So at the same time, I want to say that while I'm going to always, I'm going to continue reading the Bible because I think the Bible is amazing. It is, in my opinion, one of the easiest ways to hear from God is reading the Bible, but I don't think that it's the Word of God in a way that we need to be hurting each other with it. So, I support homosexuals, and that not because I'm part one. I support, I support people's rights to live the life that they are led to live, because I believe by allowing God to lead them, or what they may or may believe is God, or maybe they don't even accept God, but when they do what they're led to do, I believe they end up on the path and the place they're supposed to go. And when we jump in and say, ah, you're not Christian enough, or you're not doing this right, or, and we start throwing the Bibles at them, and we start arguing over Scripture, do you think that brings them closer to God? Do you think that it makes them want to go, Jesus, you are the God of love, and I want more of you, Jesus. I've never, I'm trying to figure this one out, why people say there's power in the name of Jesus when the letter J wasn't invented until the 1600s. And I know that, now the flip side of this is, I believe that God knows our hearts, God knows our intentions, and the way that we speak, the intentions of what we speak, I believe that that matters too. So 
our intentions matter, even though our intentions may not matter in a fight with our spouse, I do believe they matter to God. And also, so where I'm going with this is to, I'm going to get into something in just a second, but where I'm at is that I'm going to keep reading the Bible because I like to hear from God, but I also know that praying and meditating is an awesome way to hear also. And I, in a world right now where everything feels misleading, everything feels uh, freaking psyop, <laughs> like it's a, a mental warfare. When I remove myself out of that, I don't have that warfare anymore. Because when I just trust the spirit inside of me to lead me to truth, uh, it's a lot easier to navigate life. And another thing too, by focusing on less, focusing less on God being this external force and focusing more now on God being inside of me and Christ being inside of me, now all of a sudden I have a different level of accountability because it's really easy when God's external to blame things on the devil or to go, God, where are you? Where are you when I need you? I need you, God, where are you? I think, in my opinion, that pushes God away because God's inside of you. Ever notice when you pray and ask a question, you can hear a response? I've heard the expression, everything in Christ is yes and amen. Can't verify that that's true, but I'll tell you one thing. When I ask, I hear yes and amen, and I don't know why. I want to read something really quick. This won't be very long. It's called Training Your Thoughts. Thought is the real causative force in life, and there is no other. You cannot have one kind of mind in another kind of environment. You cannot change your environment while leaving your mind unchanged. This is the real key to life. If you change your mind, conditions must change too. Your body must change. Your activities must change. Your home must change. The color tone of your whole life must change. And do not be conformed to this world but ye be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. This may be called the great cosmic law. The practical difficulty in applying it arises from the fact that our thoughts are so close to us that it is difficult without little practice to stand back and look at them objectively. Yet that is just what we must learn to do. You must train yourself to choose the subject of your thinking at any given time, and also choose the emotional tone. If you are not determined to start in now and carefully select all day the kind of thoughts that you are going to think, you may as well give up all hope of shaping your life into the kind of thing you want it to be. The way to start on a seven-day mental diet is to begin now. It's from the book, Seven-Day Mental Diet. Um, when we beat each other up with scripture, it may be feel good for us to feel like we're right, but that's ego. Oh, I got the upper hand on you because I proved you wrong about scripture. There's an upper hand there. 
That's ego. That's not of God. That's ego. That's why it says not to fight over scripture. Why it says not to fight off of a fight over your interpretations of the Bible. My goodness, Paul even said that his that he didn't get his messages from anyone. It became divinely inspired from God that they're downloads. I think that's subconscious. I think it's the subconscious that's giving this. Or subconscious Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't have the facts. It wasn't there. But there's something to say about not engaging or not fighting and remaining neutral. I get being excited and passionate about something, but be passionate about something that is giving life, beating somebody over the head. Think about it. You're fighting over this and you're making them feel bad because you need to be right. What do you think it's doing to their subconscious? Now, of course, if they have the strength and they have the self-confidence and they have their own no, then of course they can stand up to you. But then what is that doing? Is that really, in, is that helping anything? Is this bringing joy or harmonious thought? Is it loving someone? No. And look, I get to take my own little looks at this because I like to be right. I have an ego. I die to it a lot, but I still have it. But I'm telling you, there's something about following a religion that is not the freedom in Christ that they talk about. And the reason why I think, I believe, is that this is too external. And also, by doing that, we've turned it into a weapon. When we, this is a personal relationship, and we're loving ourselves, and we love others, and we apply this to our own lives, not force it on others, but we apply what speaks to our heart and our soul and our spirit in this book and then operate that way. And then also recognizing that when you go up to somebody, that they have the same God inside of them that's inside of you. Act accordingly. Act accordingly. I think there's one more thing that I want to go through real quick that I saw that I just love. So this is another thing too that I saw. A magnetized piece of steel will lift 12 times its own weight. And if you demagnetize the same piece of steel, it won't lift the feather. Similarly, there are two types of men. There's the magnetized man who is full of confidence and faith. He knows he's born to win and succeed. And then there's the other type of man who's demagnetized. The one that is full of fears and doubts. I know more believers that are full of fear and doubt than I know Satanists that are. I don't believe either is correct. I believe that it's about finding the balance of both. You're not extremely good. You're not extremely evil. But there is a balance there. I think that we can't run from our darkness. I think that we get to embrace it and find a way to have a relationship with it without hurting other people. Because I've learned one thing about my own life and my own journey with evil. 
I lived a pretty freaked up life, an evil life. But really, after all these years of living a good life and a clean life, for the most part, because I still have my own issues sometimes. But I'm I'm in the middle of this. I don't fear my darkness anymore. In fact, my darkness, which used to be my shadow, I don't have the shadow anymore because it's talk about it. But I don't fear pushback from religion, the church, or anyone else because I'm walking with God and it's a personal relationship and it's a personal walk. And anything that I do wrong, I will be convicted of and I will apologize if I'm when I when I know that I'm wrong or when I'm shown that I'm wrong, I will always repent. I will always apologize. But at the same time, my faith walk is not anyone else's. And I don't subscribe to religion. And while I may not believe that the Bible is the literal word of God, it's also the most amazing book ever written. And I believe when we can see it as a metaphysical book, also, I believe it becomes even more transformative and it becomes even more magical than what the preacher says it is. Because I don't believe the preacher's really showing us the full picture, the whole baked piece of bread they can get pieces of. And like every other religion, they get pieces of it. There's one thing that I believe that unites all religions, and I'm not talking about one world religion here, the one thing that seems to unite them all, that should make you all ask questions about what we're being told and what we're not, is that the kingdom of heaven is inside of us. How many religions talk about that? From my understanding, most of them. That is something to consider when we're looking at our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and the people that are different than us, that different religions, different cultures, different upbringings. None of us have the right religion. None of us do. Until we start seeing the God inside of each other, and start treating each other that way as if we are brothers and sisters and, uh, and because we're children of God. I don't think we have a chance of peace or even being harmonious with each other. And no, I'm not calling for a one world religion. I'm calling for the one man God machine to be what they were created to be and their purpose. Because when you're living in your purpose and you're doing what you are created to do, even if it may be looked at as bad to your, a religion, but you're doing what you know you're supposed to do, you're playing that part, you're playing that role as yourself, and you're living the life that you were created to in tune and in line with God's purpose for your life, and that means you may do some things that may piss off your church or your synagogue or whatever. You are being obedient to the spirit inside of you. I believe that that is the path for all of us to achieve what we were created to achieve. Call me crazy, but even Billy Graham, the most famous reverend of all time, famous evangelist of all time, he even said that Hindus and Muslims go to heaven. Why? Watch the Watch the video for yourself. Pretty impressive. So, I just want to encourage you to 
quit trying to live someone else's life and just start living yours. You may make mistakes. You will make mistakes. It won't be perfect. But at least you will know who you are. At least you will be in your identity. Because when you're an identity, that's where all the magic happens. That's where all your, the evolution of your relationship with God, that's where it is when you are who you were created to be. Thank you for watching. Bye.